the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Brian Loritz from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. Christians in Peter's day were a group of people who actually claimed to follow a man who had been accused, convicted, and executed as a criminal. Oh, and this man actually claimed to be God in the flesh. Oh, and they also said that on the third day he got up from the grave and resurrected with all power in his hands. And oh, he ascended back to heaven. And oh, he's coming back again. Peculiar. Hello and welcome to the Inspired to Live radio broadcast with Brian Loritz, lead pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View, California. We are so happy that you've joined us for the broadcast today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Brian continues with our Exiles teaching series from the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Brian with today's study. Please meet me in 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you have your devices, take them out and click on your Bible apps and meet me in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, make note of these words, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I love these words, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having, verse 16, a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, verse 21, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God, For a good conscience, there's that phrase again, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. 
recently on a Saturday Night Live skit. The comedian Amy Schumer is playing a six-year-old girl who abruptly interrupts her local city council meeting. She gets to the podium and she says, I want to make a motion that every day at my school, we have extended recess and all you can eat pizza for lunch. The crowd chuckles like some of you, this cute little girl. And then Amy Schumer takes it up another notch. Playing a six-year-old girl, still behind the podium, she says, and I am pro-life. Praise Jesus. People are now starting to think this little girl is being weird. She then says, I want to make two more motions. One, that Bible is taught at my school every week, and that the Bible teacher is Jesus. And the second motion she says I want to make is that in this Bible class taught by Jesus, that we would ban gay people. It's not natural, she screams. It's not natural. The skit ends in silence when one of the adults says, you're freaking me out. You know, you sit there and you watch this skit as not just a follower of Jesus Christ, but a follower of Jesus Christ in in what is, I believe, the most secular region of the country, the Bay Area. And you watch this and you cannot help but think, is this really what the world thinks of Christians? Their caricature of what it means to follow Jesus seems to have Christians as this weird, abrasive, bombastic group of people who are completely out of touch and out to lunch. And something in your heart sinks in which you say, if this is what the world believes about Christians and what Christians think and how Christians behave, we've already been behind the eight ball. Is there any hope for us winning the bay to Jesus Christ? I got a little depressed hearing about this skit. And then I had to remind myself that when we come to the book of 1 Peter, that Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are living in a secular society. It was Rodney Stark, the great Baylor sociologist who wrote in his seminal book, The Rise of Christianity, in which Rodney Stark points out that by the end of the first century AD, by the end of the century in which Peter is writing, Christians only comprise less, less than half of 1% of the total Roman Empire population. But by the end of the fourth century, Christians would make up 7.5 million people and would be sanctioned by the emperor Constantine as the state religion. Now, I'm not here to argue whether or not it's good for Christians to be the state religion. There's a lot of things we could say about that. But here's the question I want us to discuss for the rest of our time together. 
What do we learn from Christians in a secular society like Rome who goes over the course of a couple hundred years from being this fringe group, less than half of 1%, to being the state religion in which the Emperor Constantine actually legislated, passed a law that emblazoned on every Roman soldier's shield would be the insignia of the cross. How did that happen? I think that's good for us to wrestle with here in the Bay. Christians in the Bay are a fringe group. We only make up of 10 million people, 2 to 3% of the Bay. This is not the Bible Belt. This is not Atlanta. It's not Birmingham. It's not Memphis where the people are just so nice. This is Teslaville. So what do we learn? How, how can Christians flourish in such a way that Christ is exalted and lifted up and we actually make Christianity appealing to people and, and, and get rid of the caricatures in such a way that we are able to win the bay for Jesus. Now don't look at me as if this is a hopeless task. Nothing is impossible for God. So I believe, if, if I didn't believe the bay could be one for Jesus, trust me, I'd have, I'd have stayed in New York City. I believe in this book, and I believe in God, that God can pour out revival in this place. But if God is going to do that, the question on the table is, how is that going to happen? How can we see the bay one for Jesus Christ? Our text actually gives us the blueprint. Friends... If you and I would just commit to doing what this text says, I believe we in our lifetime will be the first generations of believers in the Bay who will see an outpouring of the Spirit of God in this place, and we can actually see revival happen if we would only do what this passage says. Well, what do I need to do? Peter gives us both the method and the message for how to win people to Jesus Christ. He begins, look at verse 15, after some introductory remarks. He begins in verse 15, after having talked again about suffering and mistreatment. Peter in verse 15 begins by laying out the blueprint for how we can see people in the bay come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 15, in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now this phrase, make a defense, is the Greek word apologia, from which we get the English word apologetics from. It's the idea of defending the faith. But here he's not talking about an individual or a group of individuals who are these incredibly intelligent, learned people who have a PhD in theology or philosophy and can debate the atheists of the world. He's not talking about apologetics in that sense, no. What he is actually implying and presupposing is that I am living my life in such a way that my life is so peculiar that people now are provoked to ask questions. He is implying that people look at your life and they say, that is so different. We've got some questions for you. We want to ask some things about faith. Now, this is important in Peter's day. Because in Peter's day, 
as it should be now, Christianity was not just a fringe faith. It was a, it was a group of very peculiar, very peculiar people. Christians in Peter's day were a group of people who actually claimed to follow a man who had been accused, condemned, convicted, and executed as a criminal. Oh, and this man actually claimed to be God in the flesh. Oh, and they also said that on the third day he got up from the grave and resurrected with all power in his hands. And oh, he ascended back to heaven. And oh, he's coming back again. Peculiar. Peculiar. Not only that, but Christianity, like our culture today, was birthed in a culture of pluralism. Now, you may not know that word pluralism, but you know what it's about. The idea of pluralism is this idea that there are many faiths, there are many roots to God. So you be a good Mormon, and you, you be a good Muslim, you be a good Buddhist, you be a good Christian, that Christianity is just kind of one buffet item amongst the whole buffet. Christians said no. Christians are not just an option to God. Christianity, Christians said in the first century, is the option. They would quote John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Peculiar. In Peter's day, Christianity was peculiar because not only was it pluralistic and the person they claimed to follow, but Christianity was, was birthed amongst a rigid society that had established a caste system where there was rich and poor and rich never fraternized with the poor. But here you had the church and you walked into the church and you would see rich and poor together and sitting down at love feasts and enjoying and sharing life with one another and masters hugging slaves and slaves hug hugging masters all under the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you would walk in there into that place and you would go peculiar. But not only that, Christianity was birthed in a Greco-Roman society steeped in their own version of Jim Crow, which is called segregation or which was a rigid kind of a racism where Jew and Gentile never came together. But you walked into the first century church and you couldn't believe it because there were Jews in small groups with Gentiles and Gentiles loving on Jews. And the great tragedy of the church of the 21st century is that we can go, that's the black church, that's the white church, that's the Japanese church, that's the Mexican church in hell heaven, there is no zip codes. There are no segregations. There are no red lines, but there are people from every nation, tribe, and tongue loving on one another and worshiping God with one another. The the homogenous church is not peculiar, peculiar, but finally it was peculiar because like today, we live in a society that has legislated it's okay to kill babies And in Roman society, they practiced something called infanticide. They killed babies. There are letters written by men in Roman society away on business trips. Their wives, they know, are about to have a baby. And these men say in a very cold, callous way, if it is a boy, keep it. But if it is a girl, you discard it. Christians not only refuse to practice infanticide, you could also find Christians right outside the walls of the city, looking for babies who had just been thrown over the walls, wallowing in their blood. Christians were the only group of people who would take care of these babies peculiar.
Christianity in the first century world was always on trial. People were asking them questions. Why do you have as a Gentile, a Jewish friend, or why are you a rich master hanging out with your slaves and treating them with such dignity and respect? And Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within. So what he's saying is, peculiar living should provoke peculiar questions. Give that to you again. Peculiar living should provoke peculiar questions. In other words, this is the ouch part of the sermon. You might want to tell your neighbor, get ready to say ouch. If Brian and Corey Loritz are not being regularly asked questions by unsaved neighbors, co-workers, parents at kids' basketball games as to the peculiar practices of our lives, there is no way we are representing Jesus adequately. My life. This doesn't mean I'm belligerent. It doesn't mean I act like I'm better than people. It doesn't mean that I'm arrogant or judgmental. But people should look at Jesus in me and the way that I work, the way I treat my spouse, the way I conduct my business. They ought to just look at me and go, that's different. Can you talk to me about it? Single people should blow people's minds. But you ain't having sex with your boyfriend. Peculiar. Peculiar. Well, how do I live a peculiar life? He tells us right here, verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ as Christ the Lord is holy. The the idea of holy, it literally means set apart. It literally means to be different. (laughs) I remember just thinking about this growing up watching, I think it was either the electric company or Sesame Street, one of those. And they used to have this song, one one of these things don't belong. Come on, help me somebody. Y'all, y'all remember, y'all remember that you'd have maybe 12 things and 11 of them were marbles and one of them was a rock and you had to pick out which one was different. When, when he, that's the idea of holy. In the sea of marbles, the rock would be holy. It is different. It is set apart. He says, in your hearts, I want you not to make Christ holy. Christ is holy whether or not you make him that way. He is holy. He says, honor him, lift him up, which means this. If I have a peculiar set apart Jesus living in my life and I'm just following him, if I'm following this peculiar, different Jesus, then guess what's going to be said of me? I'm peculiar. I'm different. Had a great aunt once, Aunt Marion. She, um, <laughs> she, she bought a set of sofas one time and she thought they were so valuable that she never took the plastic off. Come on, go with me, somebody. Anybody ever have a great aunt or a grandmama or... And when I say never took the plastic off, I'm talking for decades. Never took the plastic off. You would watch it, you'd walk in Aunt Mary's house and there would be her little living room and you'd look at these sofas in the plastic and the first thing you would say is, now that's different. That's different. You sit on them, they'd make a different noise. Don't, in fact, don't, don't even sit on them if you was a little bit sweaty. You slide right off them bad boys. they just different. You know what Peter's saying? Don't take the plastic off of Jesus. So that when people walk into the living room of your life, they say, now that's different. 
What, what does this look like? Let me give you a couple examples. I, uh, uh, you know, uh, when, when, when I lived in Memphis, I just get, I just would get so frustrated. You know, I, I love the saints, but I, I need to be around. I need to be around as a Christian. I know y'all work with pagans all week long, but as a Christian, my, my job necessitates, I, I be around saints all day long and I love saints, but sometimes saints can just get on your nerves. So I, I needed an outlet. So I just, I got in with this golf group of some old salt of the earth, many of them not even saved people. And, um, you know, we'd start playing golf together and, uh, you know, on the golf course, they, they're cussing, but I wouldn't cuss with them, but I, I'd never be judgmental of them or whatever. And, uh, I would tell them, yeah, I'd had a little running joke. You can cuss just as long as it's, you know, in the King James version, I won't unpack that for you. But, um, so I'd hang out with them and sure enough, they start, you know, calling me rev. They hear about what I'm doing and I'm, you know, making relationships with them after a couple years. And one, one day after a couple years, one of them says to me, now rev, you, you, you come with us on our annual golf trip? I said, yeah, absolutely. I want to come with you. Where are y'all going? Florida. But he said, now, Rev, Rev, we want you to come, but Rev, on this golf trip, we want you to come on. Rev, we're going to have strippers. I said, now, let's, um, let's parse that last sentence. Rev, you're going to come on the golf trip with strippers. Uh, that's just, that, that don't, those two words don't even go together. And we start having a conversation. I says, no, I can't go. And well, why can't you go? And I start talking about you know, my relationship with my wife. And then it comes out that they just assume that everybody cheated on their wife. And I had to actually have a conversation. No, I don't, I don't cheat on my, my wife. And this wonderful, beautiful conversation. And why don't I cheat on my wife? And they're asking me these questions. And Peter talks about always be prepared. Living in the Bay. I mean, we see stuff in the Bay that we never saw in Memphis. I just just didn't see it. You know, sitting at my boy's basketball game, uh, one one of the players has two moms. They're married to one another. Uh, His biological father was at the game the other day. And I'm sitting there talking to one of the moms, and so far she doesn't know what I do for a living. But I get talking, and, and I'm asking, well, how'd you meet your wife? And you know, talk to me about the relationship, and what's happening here? And sure enough, after a couple conversations, she feels comfortable enough to have her son come over the house and hang out with my son. And We've just invited her and her wife to come over to our house for dinner. And we're making plans for that. I can't wait till they walk up in our house and they see the Bibles and ask me what I do for a living. That might be a real quick dinner. (laughs) But here's what I love about that. What's going to blow her mind is the way I'm treating her does not fit the caricature that she has of Christianity. And I just want to encourage you, some of y'all, 
your whole lives, all your personal time is just spent by saved folk. God bless saved folk, but you need to have margin in your life to do life with people who are just different, don't believe what you believe, don't see it the way you see it. But guess what? That's what it means to follow Jesus because he went to dinner parties, not just with saints, but with prostitutes and tax collectors and loved on people who look so radically different than him. Now, I'm not okaying you to hang out with prostitutes. Um, That might not go well with your wife. But anyways, you get the point. So he says, live a peculiar life. So how do I win debate for Jesus? It just begins with, I'm just, I'm just going to live differently. And not arrogantly, not belligerently. I, I, I follow a different savior and to follow him means if he's different, then I'm just, I'm just going to live different. But secondly, I love what he says in verse 15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Pastor Brian Loritz with today's Inspired to Live radio broadcast. We truly want to thank you for spending time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Brian or on Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, here's how you can contact us. Our mailing address is 2440 Leghorn Street in Mountain View, California, 94043. Our Information Center phone number is area code 650-210-9340. And of course, you can look us up on the World Wide Web at alcf.net where you'll find multiple links with information about our church and our staff, a calendar of upcoming ALCF events, and, if you're in the Mountain View area, on Sunday morning our worship service begins at 10 a.m., and we would love for you to join us. Again, for more information on this and everything else happening here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, just visit our website at alcf.net. Well, we hope you'll join us again next time as Pastor Brian continues to lead us through a study of God's Word. But until then, it is our hope and prayer from everyone here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.